As a professional travel speaker, I have spent more than 2,000 days at sea, mostly in the Mediterranean. My first season was a blur of excitement and anxiety. It was on a cruise ship, and with every port so close together, we were in a new city and often a new country almost every day. For those first few weeks, I scarcely had a second to breathe. This is KK Robbins, and you are listening to episode 13 of Travel Talk. Each spring, cruise ships that have spent the winter in points around the world like the Caribbean, Mexico, Asia, and Australia are changing course for what is called repositioning. Crossing long distances to reach their next hub for the new season, most ships will be headed to one of two destinations, Alaska or Europe. The European ships arrive first, with the ships bound for Alaska taking off later this month. The opinions on cruising are black or white. Those that love it, really love it. Frequently booking or at least planning their next cruise before even disembarking the current one. Those that hate the idea or simply are disinterested, most likely have never taken one. I was in that camp. I had no desire to take a cruise. Images of slovenly dressed food mongers ravaging the buffet sent shivers down my spine. However, that all changed in an instant when I was offered a coveted enrichment speaker position. The most important tip I can offer to avoid my buffet nightmare is choose a better cruise line. All these years later, I know a thing or two about making the most of your cruising experience, and it all starts well before you get on board. It begins by choosing the best cruise itinerary for your destination. Even those who are adamant that a cruise is not for them can still benefit from taking one in Europe, especially if you are new to European travel in general. And if you have a desire to see Alaska, there is no better way to experience it. More on cruising to Alaska will be in an episode coming soon, but this week I will focus solely on cruising the Mediterranean. The main advantage for cruising in general is being able to visit multiple destinations and only unpacking once. Instead of battling planes, trains, and automobiles, you are having dinner and watching a show while the captain steers you to your next all-new destination. My personal opinion is that to cruise the Caribbean, you need to love the actual experience of cruising. That is, the arc of life on board. In the Mediterranean, a love or even appreciation is a bonus, but not at all necessary. Even if you are a non-cruiser, this can be a simple way to see multiple countries over a short period of time. Choosing what you want to do in port and being back before the ship leaves are your only responsibilities. The most notable difference in a Mediterranean cruise versus another destination is how close the ports are together. This results in a higher port-to-days-at-sea ratio. A 10 to 12 day cruise in the Mediterranean will often have only one to two sea days. That is a day in which you are only sailing. Making it possible to pack in so many different countries and experience multiple cultures. This is your opportunity to get a taste of what you enjoy most and then return in the future to explore that region on land and more in depth. When choosing a Mediterranean cruise, here are a few things I suggest you look for. First off, Size matters. To a non-cruiser, the idea of having 600 to 900 guests on board sounds like a lot, but that is actually a very small ship. And if you can swing it financially, it is definitely the sweet spot. 
A few of the reasons of why the size of the ship matters is that a smaller ship can get into smaller ports. There are also many ports in which every ship is too large to dock. In those ports, guests are tendered ashore. That is, they take a boat from the ship into town. These boats double as lifeboats, so you can see the size as you look off the side of the ship. The reason this matters is because on a larger ship, you usually only have a few of those boats that are operating at one time. And so the more passengers on board, the longer your wait will be to get ashore. On a smaller ship, the process is much quicker because they will still use several boats to ferry you ashore. You will also have a shorter time exiting and re-entering the ship through security in any of the ports that you dock. And from the pools to the restaurants to the theaters, I'm sure you can imagine how much easier it is back on board. Another thing I like to look for is long stays in port. When you're looking at the itinerary, look for stays that are well past the four or five o'clock hour. Now, many ports only need a few hours to explore, but I still like that to be my option. And speaking of long stays in port, if you can find an itinerary with an overnight stay or even two overnight stays, that is a huge bonus. You already know how much I love to see a place at night. This just gives you that feeling of not having to rush back on board. You can even go out and explore during the day, get some ideas, come back, get dressed up and go out into the evening. The next thing to look for is the distance to the city center or the main attractions for that port. Sometimes this just simply can't be helped, as is often the case with the bigger cities. But look for the filler ports that have easy winds that will allow you to just walk directly into town. Far less important on a Mediterranean cruise than, say, a cruise with less ports is the onboard offerings. Restaurants and entertainment, they become secondary because when sailing to places like Spain, France, Italy, Greece, and Croatia, you will often spend most of your days exploring, becoming exhausted, and hopefully devouring the food and culture. This leaves your time on board each evening just as a time to recharge for the next day's adventures. I often encourage cruisers in this region to give themselves permission to skip a less desirable port and remain on board where you'll have the ship to yourself. Or a good tip is to at least take a leisurely morning on the ship and as soon as the tour goers come back for their free lunch on board, you head out to explore ashore in the afternoon. Many of your ports will be a short walk into town and at least one or two will only need an hour or so to wander around. However, one morning that you will not want to be on board is crew drill day. An insider tip here is to go to the main guest services desk, which is staffed 24 hours a day, and the best time to go, if not in the middle of the night, is early, late, or during dinner and showtimes. The first day is always chaotic, so avoid that line altogether and wait until right before bed and just stop by to ask this question. When is the crew safety drill this cruise? If they don't know the answer, simply ask them if they can go find out because it's definitely somewhere in the back. And to be clear, I'm not speaking about the passenger drill that you as a guest are required to attend before the ship even sails. I'm referring to the crew drill that will take place each week regardless of the length of the cruise. It's usually beginning at about 9.15 a.m. and concludes about two hours later. This drill is maritime law and all ships must comply. Many, many loud alarms will go off as well as a constant barrage of announcements throughout the entire drill. 
It is a vacay buzzkill, and the best place for you to be is far, far away from the ship. When determining which cruise to take, the ease of exploring a port should be your main priority. It is natural to assume that all ports are desirable, otherwise why would the ship take you there? Well, lots of reasons. From fuel costs, to low port fees, to boarding of supplies, to simply someone in a corporate office seeing that it is an available port along the route. Also, what is desirable to one may not be desirable to another. After visiting one of my favorite ports, I once overheard someone saying, I don't even know why we stopped there. So the first thing to pack is an open mind. Be ready to absorb the differences, the nuances of each individual port. Every port will not be chock full of things to see and do. It may be a slow walk through cobblestone streets, a coffee at a corner cafe, and almost always an opportunity to take a quick dip in the Mediterranean Sea, which somehow gradually changes color with each and every port. A perfect example is the port for Rome and the port for Florence. While you can visit Florence or Rome in one day, it takes two and a half to three hours of your day just going and returning. On more than one occasion, I have been asked why we couldn't dock closer to Florence. And while a plethora of comments swirl around in my mind, with a straight face, I simply smile and say, that dang Florence is 60 miles from the coast, and this is as close as we could possibly get you. In place of Florence, an easier and more rewarding way to spend your day would be the town of Lucca, one of my favorites in all of Tuscany. Another important tip is to connect with other guests early on. Find like-minded travelers and partner up to share taxis and subsequently stories. Or if you prefer to take a tour, don't make the mistake of taking the least expensive one in every port. For the same budget, mix it up and take the best experience in every other port, meaning in the ports in which you can easily explore on your own, you roll that saved money into a better tour in a more difficult port. So how do you know which ports are which? Well, the guest services desk is for onboard questions. And as tempting as it may be to get their take on what to do in port, they are by no means experts. So the info can be outdated or just simply incorrect. Some cruise lines have enrichment speakers, like myself, that will offer presentations. However, many do not. The best practice is to do a small amount of research before you go. Simply take that itinerary and put it into Google, one by one. There are so many blogs and sites that offer basic info like whatsimport.com or Tom's Guide. The only thing I will say is that don't get too bogged down on the specifics. Just have a loose idea of what is possible. Even week to week, bus numbers can change, taxis and trains go on strike, and where the internet or a guidebook says you will dock is most often incorrect. The ship docks where the port tells them to dock. No berth is a guarantee or even the same as last week, no matter what that cruise book tells you. But the good news is that you only need an idea of what is possible. Then you take that know-how and visit the nearest tourist office once ashore. They are local and can direct you with up-to-the-minute info. Another way to make a plan is once on board, grab the shore excursion booklet that is in your room and go to the shore excursion or tours desk after grabbing a cocktail, of course. There will most likely be a line, and while you are waiting, observe each of the staff with the guests that they are assisting. 
It shouldn't be too difficult to spot the one who is most patient and willing to explain. Even if it is your turn, simply motion that you are waiting on the other staff member that you've been stalking. No questions will be asked. They will assume that you have spoken to them before and want to continue the conversation. Once at the counter, and this first line is imperative, state that you are not looking to take a tour in every port, but are interested in booking some tours. And can they please tell you which are the best ports to take a tour, i.e. the most difficult to do on your own? While it is not their job nor their expertise to know how to do things independently, they do know basically which ones a tour is most needed. By default, the ones they don't mention are most likely an easy port. Once you have established which ones are best to take a tour, then hone in on which tours will offer the most bang for your buck. Ask them, if your mom or best friend were on board, which tour are you sending them on? Armed with this info, you can leave the desk with notes written in your booklet and go make an informed decision about how to budget your time and money. I will say that many of the best tours sell out early. If it looks good to you, it looks good to the rest of the cruise passengers. And as much as the ship would love to just add on another bus, the shoreside resources are often limited and dictated by many factors, such as if other ships are already in port. So if you see a tour that sounds amazing, and especially if it seems like a great value, book it straight away. Even for the most independent of travelers, like myself, in some ports, it is best to have the ease of a tour and safety of being back to the ship on time. Every single tour booked with the cruise line is guaranteed that the ship will wait for you. Most ports, this is a non-issue, but for a few, all it takes is that one day of bad luck for things to unravel quickly. And when going it alone, which you totally can do in most ports, never ever choose the last bus or train coming back. Always choose the one before, giving yourself a little bit of wiggle room if things go wrong. The Mediterranean Sea covers Spain, France, Monaco, Italy, Greece, Montenegro, Croatia, Turkey, and Israel, with a few more countries sprinkled in. Most likely, you are going to choose one small section of that vast area. And now that we have discussed the advantages and what to look for, tune into the next episode right now when I will share some of my personal faves and the easiest ports in the Mediterranean.